and hello to you and welcome to the Motivation Podcast from MotivateYourself.co.uk. I'm Richard Nichols and I'm here to guide, to teach and to motivate you to be the best you can be. It's another week and another episode of my July special on happiness. This follows on quite nicely from, at least I hope it does anyway, from last week's episode on body language. And if you haven't already listened to that one, then it may be a good idea to um, to go back, have a listen to that, just in case I refer to it, either in this episode or uh, any of the other ones over the next few weeks. So, this week's episode is about how our, how our well-being is influenced by our behaviour, both for good and for bad, and the mistakes we make in our actions in order to try and be happy that actually have been shown to have the opposite effect. Let me tell you a quick story. I went out for a meal with my wife a few weeks ago, and it was to a place I'd never been to before, and whilst I was ordering some drinks at the bar, I got chatting to a man who was having a drink after his meal, and so I asked him, out of earshot of the staff, if he'd had a nice meal. And he patted his belly and said, Oh, I come here once a week. I love it. It's great value for money. Now, the price of the meal hadn't really occurred to me. It was in a a location where you'd expect it to be competitively priced and hadn't even seen the menu yet. I just assumed you'd get good value anyway. So I said, in what way is it value for money? And he said, because you get so much on your plate, you should have the mixed grill. And he starts listing all these things that come with this enormous mixed grill. Steak and gammon, black pudding and sausages, chicken fillet and tomatoes, mushrooms, fried eggs. Oh, uh, and some salad with chips. Uh, and I, I said, was it nice? He said, yeah, I can hardly move. Now, the guy was a bit overweight and obviously that's no surprise because after seeing someone on a table near me have one of those mixed grills, I can understand why he found it hard to move, because it was monstrous. Way too much food for one person, probably even too much for two. But what was interesting to me is the fact that sometimes we base our expectation of our satisfaction on the size of something. But do we do that with anything else other than food? Well, I don't think so. I do remember years ago buying um, a piece of cake from a tea room somewhere, and it was homemade, but the top part had been a bit, it was a bit burnt. But rather than throw it away and make another one, or just cut the top off and, and have the cake a bit smaller, when it came to me, it was like half an 11-inch cake, but the top was all burnt. So I could only eat some of it, probably the same amount I'd have eaten if um, they hadn't have burnt it and just served me what I'd expected. But I've never gone back there, obviously, but I could see what they were thinking. This isn't that nice. So give them extra to make up for it. As if it's how much we eat that influences our satisfaction. And there may well be some of you thinking that that makes sense. Thinking, hmm, yeah, well, the more I eat, the more satisfied I am with my meal. Well, guess what? No, you're not. All the research over the years into food habits shows us that our levels of satisfaction with a meal are not proportional to the quantity at all. After installing a uh, a complicated refillable soup bowl in a restaurant so that participants in a study didn't know how much they'd had to eat, the researchers found it didn't matter if they had extra to people in the other group. Their levels of satisfaction didn't go up at all. They were no more satisfied than the group that just had the normal size bowls of soup. 
and the same with eating blindfolded. If you can't see how much is on your plate, and you just eat until you've had enough, then you'll more than likely end up leaving a quarter of your meal on your plate because you were listening to your body and enjoying your meal. And you stopped when, you were, when you'd had enough. But I wonder if we're given a meal that's only three quarters of the size we were expecting, if we weren't blindfolded, whether we'd look at it and think, well, that won't be enough. Because I see lots of clients who are unhappy with their weight. Now, as I said before, many of them may have been unhappy in the first place and the weight isn't the issue. But often, everything else in their life is pretty good and they've just gotten into some bad habits that have led to them being overweight, unhealthy and unhappy about it. So actually those big portions that we think will make us happier than you know, the mixed grill at the pub around the corner that's the same price but half the size, won't make us happier. They'll make us unhappier. Especially as in order to keep it affordable, the food often isn't even that good, despite its monstrousness. We, we make many mistakes in our quest, our path for happiness. You know, one of them that often gets me on my high horse, especially because I've, I've seen the research, what annoys me is, is, our, is people's belief that we're happier when we have more choices. As if more choice means more control over our lives and therefore more control means less stress when it's not true if you go to the asda website and have a look at how many different types of jam there are do that when you get a chance now if my wife asks me to pop to asda and pick up some jam i'm just going to pick up the first one i come across and i'm sure it'll be fine but there are 145 different types of jam listed on their website. That's a lot of jam. If you're scrolling through page after page of jam jars, you're just going to click off and forget it, aren't you? And research has shown that people do indeed do just that. Yet despite the research that shows that the more choice there is, the less likely we are to buy something, we still perceive that the shops with the most choice are the best ones for us when actually we have far more opportunities to regret what we have bought when there was more choice. And so our satisfaction in the product goes down. What seems best is just to buy one of the first ones you come across and enjoy it, without giving the alternatives a second thought. But like I say, what we think consciously about what will make us happier is not necessarily going to. I saw some research the other year about how interacting with people can have a positive effect on our mood, Yet people consistently assume that sitting in solitude on a train journey rather than talking to a fellow passenger would lead to a more pleasant journey. Yet it's not true. The research back in 2011 showed that. Despite their assumptions beforehand that sitting in silence would make them happier, the research showed that just a brief conversation with another passenger led to a happier outcome. So why would we assume that it wouldn't? Well, after interviewing the participants in the study, it seems that it's our fear of being rejected that gets in the way. We assume that the negativity of being snubbed outweighs the positivity of a nice chat, yet not a single participant in the study found that they were in any way snubbed by the other passenger. It seems we're all social animals that get pleasure from other people's company, so rather than wishing for a private island in the sun... 
We should be wishing that we found it easier to override our fear of being rejected from people, which is far easier than saving up for a private island, and would lead to more happiness in our lives. One of the things I find uh, quite amazing about happiness research is how much of it is genetic. Because it does seem that about 50% of our default mood is instinctive through our genes. A bit like how rats instinctively know that water is at the bottom of hills. There's been a lot of research into genetic memory that proves that we pass on certain memories to our offspring. Which might seem odd at first, but we've known for decades that our behaviour influences our brain structure. Because that's what the brain is. It's a series of electrical circuits that move around all over the place depending on which circuit is used regularly enough. And if you get really good at something, then the circuit responsible for it gets stronger in the brain. So that circuit is a physical part of us. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that our DNA is altered accordingly. And so those circuits in the brain get passed on to our offspring. So we can inherit grumpiness or happiness. But research shows that our current mood is only partly influenced by those genetic factors. And the other 50% is down to two things. The things that happen to us and the things that we do. With the things that happen to us, it can go one of two ways, good or bad. We can lose our legs in a car accident or we can win 100 million on the lottery. And with the things that we do, that also can go one of two ways. We can spend our life aiming for uh, relaxing solitude on a train journey, or we can um, aim to have a, a chat regularly with strangers. Now, out of those two different sets of things, the big stuff that happens to us, and those tiny things that we do, which one has the greatest influence over our mood? Well, if you'd said the big stuff, like winning the lottery or having your legs amputated, then you'd be wrong. The little things we do in life, the way we think, the experiences we have, have four times as much influence over our happiness than the big stuff that happens to us. Now, at first that might seem crazy because we assume that losing our legs in an accident is going to be so bad we'll never be happy again. But no. Research shows that within a year any depressive moods have lifted and we're no sadder than we were before the accident. So it doesn't affect us long term. Same with the lottery winners. After 12 months, they are no happier than they were before the lottery win. And in fact, in many cases, are actually emotionally worse off than before. So if that big stuff is only responsible for 10% of our happiness, what are the other 40%? And what can we do to ensure that we boost our mood? Well, that's what these extra podcasts for July are all about. Because with 40% of our happiness being created by the way we live our life, it might seem as if most of our happiness is outside of our control. But even if you have inherited Auntie Mabel's grumpy bugger habit, that's all it is, a habit. A circuit in the brain that's stronger than the other ones by default. But the brain, as we know, is flexible. Old habits may die hard, but they do die. They are overridden, it just takes a bit of time, and the Auntie Mabel grumpy gene gets switched off. It's the same with every gene we inherit. We can inherit a gene from an athletic relative that means it's easy to build muscle, but that doesn't mean that those that don't inherit it won't get benefit from going to the gym. It just means they have to work a bit harder at it, that's all. 
One of my favourite experiments was undertaken by Ken Sheldon and Sonia Lyabermski, who have done lots of research into happiness and how it can influence it. And they got people to sign up for this um, this bit of research only if they had had some very recent changes in their life. Either circumstantial change, such as moving to a better place or getting more money, or intentional change. They joined a local society, made a decision about a career path, or started to do something that took effort but had a positive outcome. And their happiness was monitored for a while. And what it showed was that although the circumstantial change group started off happy, they soon went down once they got used to the change, and the intentional change group stayed happier for longer. In fact, their happiness levels hadn't gone down all the time the research was going on. It seems that if you want to stay happier for longer, we need to learn how to get out of our comfort zones and do something different. It's easier to do this by extending the things you already do enjoy, maybe. So if you enjoy drafts, learn to play chess. If you like tennis, try badminton. These are the things that lead to a happier you, the intentional changes. Now, there is a way to continue to get benefit from the circumstantial changes, though. It just means that once a week you have to spend a little time thinking about the things you're grateful for in life. It might sound a bit cheesy, but it does make a difference. If every Sunday night you lie in bed thinking about the reasons to be happy, maybe the good things that happened over the last seven days, or even remembering a pleasant journey from years ago, remembering moving into the new house that you adored, whatever. Do that once a week and it keeps it fresh in your mind. But don't do it too often. Ah, well, maybe at first it's okay if you're quite low and, and need a boost, maybe three times a week, or every day if you're quite depressed. But once your mood begins to lift, you can start spacing it apart a little bit. Because if you're already averagely content, practicing being grateful much more than once a week loses its effect as it becomes too much of a chore. All right, flipping out 14 minutes, look at the time. <laughs> Um, I think I'd better leave you for another week, but I am back next Monday where I want to continue with this thread and maybe look further into how best to spend uh, our time and money for greatest effect on our happiness. But in the meantime, if you have any questions, feel free to leave me a message on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash motivateyourselfpodcast or on Twitter at Richard Nichols with two L's or email me through the website. The link to my email address is on the bottom of every page at motivateyourself.co.uk. Actually, this reminds me, um, I mentioned that you can listen to the podcast through Stitcher and I had a review after last week's episode posted on their website. So it seems only fair to thank, let's pull it up, Starcaz, who says, love this podcast. This podcast is actually the reason I joined Stitcher. It's informative and fun, educational and inspiring. I can't recommend it highly enough. So big thank you to Starcaz. And if anyone else wants to leave a review, do feel free. And I'll speak to you all again next week. Take care.